0: Welcome to a Father's Flame podcast, where you will get the chance to hear stories of the most successful men who have excelled as husbands, fathers, and entrepreneurs. You will learn wise and proven principles during these simple conversations that are geared towards the core four categories of a successful man. That's faith, family, finances, and fitness. My name is Jeff Short. I'm a follower of Jesus for 21 years. I've been married for 14 years to my lovely wife, and we have five amazing children. I am a firefighter by trade and entrepreneur at heart. And this podcast was created for the purpose of pressing courage and new wisdom into the men of our nation. Families need strong fathers in these trying times and our nation needs diligent men to lead. So today on episode one, I'm excited to introduce Dale Gibbons, who I have had the honor to learn from this past year. Dale is the founder of Business Breakthrough Advisors. He has built three seven-figure businesses and has dedicated his career to helping others grow profitable and fulfilling companies. He is the author of the 90-Minute Business Breakthrough, where he shares eight strategies that will generate $100,000 or more in new profits without spending more on advertising. Dale is also the creator of the Leadership Selling Method, a proven model for building trust and winning more customers in an increasingly increasingly skeptical world. All right. Welcome, Dale. Hey, Jeff. Hey, thanks for being with us here today.
1: Oh, it's good to see you. I'm so glad to be, number one, your inaugural interview here. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, that's episode one. We're really hoping to make an impact in many families really um focusing on the fathers because you know when there's strong men you know there's good families really and i think it'll be the the heartbeat of our nation is having good good uh men
1: for sure for sure the statistics tend to point us in that direction for sure we need to we need to we need to do exactly that
0: well dale i've had just the privilege, uh, working with you ever since I met you, just something stood out about you and that's why, you know, we connected. And so, uh, I want to just kind of dive into this. My first, uh, thing to get started is do you, are you a hot sauce guy?
1: (laughs) Am I a hot sauce guy? Well, that's a good question. Not really. I'm not a hot sauce guy. My boys are.
0: Okay. Well in the fire service, like we're always doing, it seems like hot sauce challenges. So you got to like yeah. try the hottest stuff that burns your mouth and uh, yeah. Anyways. Okay. Well,
1: moving on. I ha- I'm not a hot sauce guy. I have walked on, uh, I have walked barefoot on coals, hot coals before. So I don't know. That How was maybe... that
0: experience? <laughs> uh,
1: it was phenomenal. Actually, it was something I thought I would never do or have the capacity or capability to do, but I did it and it was, just unbelievable is that a tony um, robbins so. event no it wasn't at a tony robbins event it was at a different uh it was at a different but it was still uh very fantastic it's a much smaller group there's probably only about 30 of us or so and uh it's been probably about i don't know seven or eight years ago now but it was it was pretty amazing
0: so do, you, do your feet get burnt how do you how do you survive that how do your feet feel after that
1: you know that the idea is is that um once you when you can put your mind in a certain state your body can overcome things and your body can do amazing things and um and and that's really what it was about you know tony robbins talks a lot about states and you know he he mentions this a lot if you've read or done anything related to him he's always talking about states of mind and so there was a lot of pre-work here in this event this was this was a this was a leadership retreat center out in the desert about an hour bus ride from Las Vegas uh, it was very 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 good experience and we had probably two days working up to this but we didn't we were going to be working walking on hot coal that they had done in two days prior to this was preparing us for what they knew to be this pretty, pretty amazing. You there, Dale? I'm here. Yeah.
0: Okay. We lost you there for a second. So you said it was, they left, they had, it was kind of a surprise. That would be, uh, definitely a surprise that, to be doing. Yeah. We
1: didn't know. Thing. We didn't know that's what it was going to be. It was an event that we were being, that we knew we were going to experience, but we yeah, didn't know funny. it was going to be that. And, uh, <laughs> That's cool.
0: So you did go to the higher mental level or to accomplish that. So good job.
1: Oh yeah. 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 I mean, there's a lot of support around you and things like that. And you, you know, there's a very specific sort of, I don't want to say protocol because that doesn't seem like but there's a very specific sequence of events that you go through to mentally prepare yourself. But most of it is the space between your ears. I mean, it's, it's a lot of taking out the head trash, honestly. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing what our, what our bodies can do, what, if, if we control things with our mind and, um, and, uh, you know, we can heal ourselves, we can do a lot of things, you know, and the Bible tells us, you know, the Bible even talks about the renewing of our mind, you know, and sure. how important that is and how powerful that is. So, yeah, it's a good experience.
0: So you are a man of faith.
1: Mm-hmm. When well, uh, did that start for you? I was 11 years start. old. Yeah, I was 11 years old. It was this uh, little Baptist church, Jeff, in a in a small town here near where I live. Um, I've lived in this area most of my life, was, with the exception, about seven years overseas. But uh, yeah, it was a little Baptist church. The Reverend Clayton Clark got a hold of me <laughs> as an 11-year-old boy. And uh and that's, and that's when it happened. And, um, you know, when I went to college, I was not a wild child at all. I was part of the navigators and things like that, but I've never really been, a, I was not a wild kid or anything like that. I don't have any stories of redemption from drugs or anything like that. My, it hasn't been, hasn't been that exciting, I guess.
0: Honestly, my story is kind of, yeah, more, you know, overcoming. getting rid of alcohol and and other things, Mm -hmm. but I think the best story is your story where you don't go into the, like the dark side of of life and and the sinful things and you, you do stay more true and, and pure. So that's what I'm hoping for my kids. I don't want them to have the, well, I got saved out of, uh, you know, drugs and depression and off the streets, you know? So Mm -hmm. anyways, Mm -hmm. I think that's, your parents must've had an impact on that.
1: Well, they did. I mean, my parents were, my parents eloped in the 10th grade. They didn't finish high school. Um, my dad never, my mother got a GED. My dad never did. He had a 10th grade education. They both worked in factories pretty much their whole lives with, with the exception of my mother. I was able to get her out of the factory. Um, <clears throat> um, and, uh, into a more white collar job. But, um, but the bills and the babies came pretty soon after they got married. And so there was a lot of financial stress on them and things like that. And I can remember a lot of, a lot of conversations about money when we were just little, little kids and we were supposed to be asleep and we pretended to be asleep because you didn't want to be awake because that wasn't going to go well. <laughs> uh, and, uh, in those conversations were inside using their outside voices, so to speak. And, um, you know i I think I think a lot of kids in that place, and I might have struggled with this thought a little bit um a lot of kids would think they're a burden on their parents and I might have I might have thought that um but what i what I ultimately allowed myself to believe was that um uh, my parents needed my help, not that I was a burden that's different you know it's different when you decide that. You're going to believe one thing versus another, and what we decide, and what we end up believing, is a decision that we make. Everything's a decision. Um, if we believe we're a burden, then that's a decision we made to believe that. If we, if we believe something else, then you know we've made that decision. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I was fortunate, and I decided to believe that my parents would that, that they needed my help. Wow.
0: And so. So you grew up knowing the Lord, um, your parents, uh, so your dad had a job and your mom had a job.
1: Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My dad worked in a factory making, um, wooden handles for hammers and axes and things like that. And, uh, I can remember going in and seeing him, he worked in this big sanding belt and everything. And, and, um, I was very proud of both of my parents. Now, my dad was an alcoholic and he wasn't a mean alcoholic. He was, he just got really kind of silly. And I didn't like to be around him because he, that wasn't the dad that I knew. He was like a different person. And, um, my mother was very choleric personality, very, she was the army general mother who was very much protecting her, her sons. You know, there was three of us and, um, she was the disciplinarian. So, so yeah, they had a huge impact on us. You know, it was back in the seventies. I was, I'm a seventies kid. Um, and. You know, everyone had those longer, everyone had longer hair over the ears or that leaf Garrett haircut. You probably wouldn't remember him, but, you know, but we had, we were little military guys, you know, we had the white wall haircuts and we went to school and my mom made our jeans and our shirts. She made all of her clothes. Um, I grew up just wanting a pair of jeans that came from the store, you know? And, um, and so uh, they were, they, we had, my parents ran a pretty tight ship for sure.
0: Okay. So what does your faith look like on a daily basis? Like today, what are your how does it impact you?
1: Well, on a that's an interesting question. I mean, on a daily basis, uh it, the way it impacts me is it guides my purpose for being here on this planet. Um you know, I think when we're younger, we're not really sure what that's for. You know, we don't know why we're here and um even when we're older, a lot of people until they die, they don't know why they're here, but after they die and they transition from this, this life to the next one, they figure it out pretty quickly. You know, that's revealed to us, I believe. Sure. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, I don't know uh, how anyone or it would certainly be difficult to go through this life experience that we're having here in this three-dimensional world where we're living. Um, would be difficult to go that through that experience without a true sense of purpose. You know, I'm the opposite of a nihilist. I certainly am not a person who thinks this is all for nothing and we should just, you know, end it now. I mean, that's the definition of a nihilist. I'm the opposite of that. I mean, we're here for a very, 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 very specific purpose. And, um, and we, and I, and I think that, um, all of us are sort of on this journey that's designed to teach us contrast, um, because there's good and bad in, in the world. Um, so those are two contrasting points and we're here to figure out what our comp or how we're supposed to make our contribution to the world. And, um, so my faith has made that crystal clear for me. And, um, that makes getting up every day and doing what I do not a burden it's a very exciting thing
0: are there habits that you have every day like in your faith um i mean i know i'm sure it incorporates praying and reading um but what does that look like just on a tangible basis
1: yeah certainly praying and reading i mean i'm a i get up pretty early i always have uh not that that's necessarily i don't know how virtuous that is it's just uh that's something i've always kind of done but also I turn in fairly early, so I don't know if it's that big a deal, but I get it pretty early and um, I spend um, a fair amount of time. I mean, the first three hours of the day is just me, just me, just the creator, my dogs. And uh, a lot of times I'll walk in the woods here on our property. We have a pretty nice, pretty nice property. It's 111 acres in Southern Indiana. All the colors are beautiful right now. And so, I've got trails all over that and I go walks, I take walks on that with the dogs and I just take in creation and, uh, do my, let's say my mind clearing and my praying during that time.
0: That's awesome. Uh, about 10 months ago, I started getting up early and I I think the Lord was leading me and this was just part of my story of just really getting back to being the person that he's called me to be in my calling. Like you're saying, it's a very high Mm -hmm. calling, which, i think we're both part of a kingdom Mm -hmm. right that um, our leader he chose to serve rather than to be served and that's why he's different than any other god all other Mm -hmm. gods love to be served and religion Mm -hmm. loves to be served but our example he didn't need to be served so he came and 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 served people and, and and that's even why I'm doing this podcast is really to to serve other people, uh, the conversations that they need to hear and mm-hmm. and hopefully serving you and flushing out some parts of your life that um, are going to bless many, many people. And mm-hmm. so, but the morning thing I'd heard this before that uh, it's kind of like the manna that went out in the morning that fed Israel. That's like mm-hmm. angels food and mm-hmm. it was only there in the morning and then it, the sun like made it disappear. And so there may be some aspect to that morning time and collecting and having so that you have this food, this nourishment to feed yourself and feed your family. So mm-hmm. can't say that conclusively, but it's just something, something interesting.
1: I, I, I don't know. For me, it's the most noble part of the day. You know, it's where everything is new and everything is fresh and, you know, we sort of reset everything for another twenty-four hours, and you get to na- take another run at it, and and uh, I like that. You know, do do thing do things to fulfill, you know, your mission here and God's mission for 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 us while we're here.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. What do you think the fruit is of being able to take that time? And you got kind of a special circumstance with that nice property, but what, mm-hmm. what's the fruit of it? Do you think in your life?
1: You know, it's a blessing for sure. The fruit of it is first, the first thing that comes to mind, Jeff, really is just, uh, is, is clarity because we have so much coming at us. I mean, we have so many inputs, you know, this digital society, this digital world we live in. If you think about, you know, just a hundred years ago and in, and in the historical timeline is just a blip. I mean, like a blip of a blip of time, but a hundred years ago, what it would have been eight, uh, 1922. Two hundred years ago, it would have been eighteen twenty. I mean, the world was so different then. Even in the nineties, we didn't have cell phones. Just, just a couple, just a couple decades ago is just a while back. I mean, I grew up in the peak of my career, or at least the early part of my career. We didn't have cell phones. You had to pull over and find a payphone and stand there in the freezing cold and put quarters in the darn thing. And so that seems archaic to most people now, but I remember it like it was just a minute ago and um but we have so much technology and we have so many inputs that we just need to have some time where we're as close to close to the dirt the earth as we possibly can be and um and take away all of those stimulus you know those those stimulating things and just focus on just focus on the creation around us you know we've all had the i think at least I know I have um we've had these experiences where I don't know what you would call these. I think there's a term for it, but we've had these, we've had these experiences where, you know, maybe we've had a brush with death, you know, you had, you're on a motorcycle and you just narrowly escaped a 18 wheeler. And if timing had been a nanosecond, you would have been dead, you know? And all of a sudden the reality of that just sort of, and the weight of it just sort of comes down on you and, and everything else that you've been worried about or thinking about or concerned about, it just poof, it just disappears. And you're so alive and in the moment right, right there that um, you're not distracted and you have complete clarity about who you are and, and you, you feel and sense the awe and the awesomeness of the world we live in and the creation that we're a part of but then it only lasts a few moments. And then all of a sudden someone honks their horn or horn or the phone rings or whatever. And then you're thrust back into that flow of, of, you know, everyday life again. But I, so I think going to those places, take a walk in a park or, or, you know, anything like that, put your phone away and your computer away. I think it helps us to get closer to that and you can even recreate it if you practice it and focus on it a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds so true. I know there's something you said that it kind of, something I've been thinking about is why do things or experiences like they're kind of fleeting, like you just said? So, like the moments of bliss or clarity. um, I don't know. I've experienced that as you were telling me, telling that Mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. I've definitely experienced that and it's it's fleeting. But you're kind of saying that at least you're, I don't know, in the mornings, able to go on a walk and just get back to clarity. It's not high mountain peak moments in life, but it's just a good reset every morning.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I'm an amateur meditator. I mean, the amateur of amateur (laughs) meditators, um, you know, through, through prayer and meditation, both now they're, they're different. Um, and they are both very beneficial, very powerful. Um, but I grew up only knowing and thinking about just, just prayer, which is, you know, a conversation with, with our creator. And, um, but meditation is different. It's just completely being quiet and in the presence of our creator. It's not having a conversation. It's being quiet and being in the presence of, and even, and, and that then sort of brings on this. Uh, this feeling of all that you get whenever you do have that brush with death, because those brushes with death, maybe those are divinely orchestrated. Maybe they're not, but well, they are. Th- I believe they are. I choose, I choose to believe those are divinely orchestrated events yeah. and they're designed. They have a purpose for us. And, um, they certainly get our attention, you know, and maybe if nothing else, that's what it does. And it reminds us of, how fragile living is! How fragile our life is! How temporary this assignment is that we're on here, and um, you know, and how, how important it is to focus on the right things. Um, and you know, my favorite verse in the Bible is what is it? Philippians four eight, where you're focusing all things that are good and praiseworthy and, and things like that. You know, I was I was just on um, LinkedIn right before hopping on you know this interview here with you and I I happened to see a post about a young man who uh, took his life and it was a picture of him in tears sitting in his car and it was the last picture of him before he took his life so, and yeah. and there was a description about he was twenty thousand dollars in debt and there was these other these other things he was struggling with but it seemed to be all financial it wasn't like he was going through a divorce or anything and you know I don't mean to make light of anything I'm not I certainly don't, uh, don't intend to do that, but isn't it amazing how, how we can allow our thought life to spiral out of control to the point where $20,000 in debt is worth taking your life. Now I'm sure there's a whole lot more to that story, but that was all that was revealed. And so let's assume that's, that's really it. Um, that's so tragic. It's tragic no matter what, Yeah. yeah. but, um, it's so important that we're focusing on the right things and that and that and that verse um in philippians is is to me the thing that i go back to when you know when my thinking and my head trash gets in the way and i need to push it i need to push it out of the way
0: yeah i like how you put that i know we got head trash i struggle with that it's I feel like I went through a season of probably like five years and I think it had something to do with like watching too much of the news. It's like mm-hmm. uh and looking and researching too many things. And even though some of it is true, like I don't want to think about a lot of those things. Like they're not really worth thinking about. And that verse you shared would always come to mind. It's like, I know I need to think about honorable things, what mm-hmm. things that are good and, and noteworthy and pure. So mm-hmm. thanks for sharing that. That's yeah.
1: Somebody classic. told me once I'd give them credit if I could remember who it was, but someone told me once, uh, Dale, remember you can't change the news, but the news can change you. And so I, I started just that's, that's really good stiff arming the news and, um, and only going to the news whenever I felt like, you know, it was very important. And, you know, and what I've realized is, um, There's enough people in my life that if a bridge collapses or a queen dies or something, I'm going to know it within 15 minutes. Somebody's going to tell me, you know, and so I don't need to be plugged into the news all the time, sucking all that up. And, um, you know, the news is designed. It's, it's a, it's a very competitive business. And so everyone is competing for eyeballs. And so what gets eyeballs is sensationalism. We all rubberneck at an accident. That's an eyeball. the accident is getting. And so what are they going to show us? They're going to show us all the negative gore and accidents and terrible things. and so, but that's not that's not the majority of life. That's not that's not a representation of everything that's going on out there. It's a representation of the worst they can find so they can get your attention. And so you'll watch it, and then their advertisers will pay them more money. That's the model. And it's easy to forget that. And so, uh, taking the news apps off the phone and unplugging from that and, and, um, just going on a strict news diet. a pretty, pretty positive thing.
0: I just wrote that down. That, that is excellent. Some of the most successful people I know, like they've all brought that up. Like it's just not part of their life. Yeah. Well, I like learning from successful people and, yeah.
1: uh, well, I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt who said, why learn, why make all the mistakes yourself? Uh, don't make all the mistakes yourself. Uh, no, she said, hang on, I'm getting this wrong. Learn from the mistakes of others because you'll never live long enough to make them all yourself. I think that's what she said. Something like that.
0: I wish I had the Bradley, uh, truth bomb thing right now. I would have been just hitting that. He just makes that sound (laughs) where it's like, boom. you better remember that. Yeah, that is good stuff. Dale, appreciate that. So let's, uh, let's transition. Uh, I want to get through this category of family. Uh, mm-hmm. so we can get to get to the next couple here. So so tell us about your family. You're how long have you been married?
1: Thirty-two years.
0: Congratulations Thanks. and what a testimony.
1: That's yeah. awesome. Thirty thirty-two years. Uh, my wife uh just turned nineteen and I married her and took her to Brazil and we lived there for four years together. Four years in Brazil.
0: What, four years in did, Brazil. What's the backstory on that? Is you have no people there? Was it
1: no, we didn't know anybody there. Actually, that's not true. We knew a couple people there. I I went to uh I was working with General Electric at the time. It was the aircraft engine group. It's called GE Aviation now. And I was a field representative uh for them. It was my first job out of college. I loved it. It was it was just a lot of fun. Um and I took the job when I was single and and I'd known Ta- my wife uh Tabby for quite a few years. I've been uh, family friends. And so I had known her since she was 12. But um, um, obviously it was years later before we, you know, before we got married. But um, I was on an assignment in New York um, at that time, at this time. And I I was going to be going to Brazil, um, being moved from New York to Brazil on a new assignment. And Tabby and I kind of reconnected and things like that. But we ended up getting together and and starting the dating process. And then we, I moved to Brazil and we, uh, we got, that was in August of 1990. And we got married in, let's see, is that right? Yeah, August of 1990. No, wait, I moved to Brazil in June of 90, I think it was. And we got married in August of 90. And then I took her back to Brazil. So I was there a couple months by myself. And um, so I was there on an assignment with GE. All right. Yeah, turned 19, left her family, never been out of the country. Went to Brazil with me.
0: Wow. So she saw yeah. something in you that she trusted.
1: I guess. I guess so. And she's she's a wonderful lady. She's just an angel, honestly. I mean, she really is. She's the sweetest person I know. And um, she she keeps me. I, I tell everybody, look, if it it's a joke, but not totally part of jokes and what makes them funny is there's a stream of truth in them. Right. But I, I tell, I tell my friends, so I'll tell all of your friends that, um, you know, if it, if it weren't for me, we'd have no money. And if it weren't for Tabby, we'd have no friends. (laughs) So (laughs) we're a good, we're a good team.
0: (laughs) That's exactly how I feel. Like I'm relating to so much of what you're saying, Dale. Like we would not be social at all if my wife Rachel wasn't scheduling people to come over uh, or just doing things. I'd just be at home. I don't even know what I'd do. I'm just glad I have her. So that's awesome that you have Tabby. Um, She's
1: she's a beautiful person.
0: Was there? Can you remember back? Like, was there any kind of filter you were looking for when you were choosing a wife? Just real quick.
1: Yeah. Well, my filter was that we had to be. she she had to be as committed to, you know, following God's example as as I am. I mean, that was, that was a non-negotiable. Um, and, um, the other is they, whoever it was, had to have a a heart for serving people. Um, and, um, and just, um, N- not an easy person to, uh, to get along with. I mean, I think one of the most important things that couples can do, um, is to simply, um, be gracious and courteous, uh, to one another. And, um, I don't remember where I heard this, but, uh, it's with me. I, the credit was due, but I didn't make this up myself. Um, but I, but I think it's, I think it's very true. Um, and that is that, you know, of course men and women are different and men, uh, women need generally what they need most is they need, um, protection, communication, and affection. Okay. Mm-hmm. um, men on the other hand, were much more crude. <laughs> you know, we, we tend to need, I mean, this is maybe a kind of a raw truth here, but men by and large more, they, we need respect, food and sex. And, you know, if you get those three things, it, you know, I know it sounds a little, a little harsh maybe, but it's true. And, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, that's a really important thing. And that's what I told my sons before they got married is just remember, you know, these the, that's it. Um and as long as as long as we I think as long as we do it that way, marriages go a lot better. I know it's very traditional and, and things like that. And for a lot of people, that's just, you know, not something they like to hear, but we don't always like to hear the truth, you know.
0: Well, there's things about the truth that are so good is that If it is true, like our faith, uh, God does put design into like the world. And so for us to like find that design and be like, you know what? I wanted to do this, but really what works the best is this is how a guy thinks. This is what he needs. This is what he wants. Mm -hmm. Finding that and living in that just to me makes life easier. Uh, I know. I mean, it's it's difficult difficult being married just Just in general, general, right? Because Because women women just just are wired differently. differently. I'd say say designed differently. differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are designed differently. And so I I appreciate you adding in that. that Well, that's
1: exactly right. And, And Jeff, the thing too, that I believe is super important here is that I've learned that the number one cause for problems between two human beings and certainly husband and wife, but it could be in a business relationship with a client or anything like that. The number one cause for broken relationships, I believe is unrealized expectations. And you know, when you enter into a friendship or a relationship that might be a marriage or anything, if you think about it, there's certain expectations that are better, that are set. And um, certainly that happens in business because we have a contract and we go through this contractual negotiation process. And then those expectations are all written out and spelled out very clearly. Um, But then outside of that, we, we have expectations that we've placed on other people that they oftentimes don't even know about. And that can cause problems because now we have this expectation, but it's Probably going to be not realized because the other person, not only did they not know about it, they certainly aren't going to agree to it or they didn't agree to it. For example, um, I might might be sort of conjuring up and picturing this, you know, this dinner out with with Tabby and. And, you know, and I've thought through this all myself, but then I don't realize that she's having a horrible day and she already has something else planned. And, you know, whatever the case might be, and I get home and announce, hey, let's go out for dinner. And she says no. And I'm upset and disappointed. Well, I've allowed myself to set this expectation in my head because of my thinking that she knew nothing about. And so it's unfair to be anything except accepting of that and respectful of where she is and what she wants to do at that time. And, um, that often doesn't play out like that. Um, but then sometimes we have expectations between people that we felt like we talked about it. We agreed about on it and, you know, everything was fine, but maybe we didn't ask the right questions and look at it from different angles to make very, very clear that we do understand the expectation. Um, and then the other challenge is, is that over time expectations drift apart. It's, you know, it's, it's just, uh, um, the law of thermal dynamics, right? The law of entropy things sort of just crumble unless they're managed very carefully and expectations are one of those.
0: And that's, that's really good. Uh, so when I hear what you say, I go back to kind of my firefighter training, which is like, that's kind of a breakdown in communication too, right? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If she's feeling one way you're expecting this other thing. Um, it's like you have to have some mediums and of communication so that we can let each other know. And just to be clear here, I think that's one of my wife and is like biggest things we struggled with was trying to communicate. So you're right on is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was, we just quit communicating. It was like all in my head what I wanted and expected. And she, Mm -hmm. I thought she knew for some reason. And I don't know why I even would think that way.
1: Yeah, we, we too often expect our, you know, our, our wives and, you know, significant others to read our minds and (laughs) that's
0: not happening. It's not going to happen. And how that relates to the fire service is like every like mistake that we make, like we, if we have a big incident, like we would go back and there's this after action review and you just talk about kind of what wrong, what was good, what went wrong so we can learn. And I'm telling you, I think it's a hundred percent of the time there's a communication breakdown. Like you just, mm-hmm. nobody told that person this. And it's the more I talk to people, and uh, couples, that's the same thing. It's like, there's just a communication breakdown in mm-hmm. a marriage. So uh,
1: yeah, that's, that's almost always the case. And so what causes the unrealized expectation is poor communication. It was either never set properly or set at all. Or the expectations went different directions because life intervenes. We forget things, different things happen to us. And we adjust the expectation a little bit, but we don't let the other person know. They adjust it a little bit and don't let us know. You add those two things together. And now we're over here. Yeah. And when a certain event triggers it, boom, it all blows up. And then the communication even gets worse because then our reptile brains take over and that ain't cool. That's yeah. not And we just not a good, not a good situation
0: happened at that point. Right. I've been there, you know, just to be clear and honest. So, so what was it like, uh, raising boys?
1: Uh, for me, it was a lot of fun. I have not had the privilege of, of raising a a daughter. I, I wish that I did. Um, but, um, but we have two daughters in law now, so that's very nice. We are loving that. Um, but, um, it was fun, you know, boys are, boys are boys, you know, they're rowdy and everything. And, um, um, we, you know, we wrestled and played a lot and done all those kind of things and made tabby very nervous. We lived in the Cape Cod, Cape Cod when I raised with the boys and we would, um, at that time they were very into wrestling and I'm not exactly sure what inspired all that, but, um, but uh, we often played that game where I would get on my knees in the middle of the room, and they'd get on each corner, and they had stage names and everything. I think uh, Nathan was the Rock, and I don't remember the other one. They could tell you what it was because no, they have fond you. memories of this. And I would <laughs> use the "Let's get, either, let's get ready to rumble" thing. I would make it very theatrical for them, you know, and they would come at dad and try to, you know. Tr- <laughs> That's try, to take, awesome. try to take me down and stuff like that.
0: Dads take note of that one. That's so that's a little nugget right there. Just for, for a good time was what was playing with your kids and doing that stuff kind of natural for you. Cause I, you know, speaking to, there's a broad spectrum of how men, you know, raise their children, but, um, was that mm-hmm. kind of a natural thing playing or I yeah, I feel like I grew up in a home where I don't think my dad played much.
1: Yeah. We played all the time and yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know what I don't know. As far as other experiences, my, my dad was, he was not super playful, but he was not distant either. I mean, I can remember sitting in his lap and things like that and watching TV with him and, and all that. My dad was an outdoorsman and a hunter. And so I'd go out and do those things with him. Not that I was that into it. Really. I love the outdoors. I wasn't much of a hunter uh, like he was, but I would do it more than anything just to be able to have time with him. And, uh, I can remember being on his back with my arms around his neck and he was carrying me through these big, tall weeds that for me were over my head, but now they'd be about, you know, maybe waist high. And, uh, I have very vivid memories of that. And I was probably, you know, three or four or five years old, probably four or five years old, maybe. And so, um, yeah, we played constantly. um, we were always wrestling and jabbing and jousting with one another and things like that. Respectfully, they knew where the lines were and things like that drove tabby crazy because she wasn't used to all the rowdiness. You know, she had one brother. There was eight of them and she had one brother and uh, you know, so it was a female energy in her house and male energy in ours. And it was pretty rough and tumble and she would, run us upstairs and we'd go up like three kids and wrestle and play together. And she said, it sounded like elephants fighting up there. And, uh, and, uh, she'd get all nervous and concerned that somebody would get hurt, which did happen occasionally, sure. but you know, as guys, you, what do you do? You kind of gather around and you make sure they're not bleeding from an artery and tell them to suck it up. It's only a flesh room. Get back in the, get back in the ring again. You yeah,
0: know? Round two's coming. You better get back. Right.
1: That's right. <laughs> Oh, that's I don't awesome. know. Maybe that's why the oldest is an EMT now. I don't know. He's a yeah, medic. He, he <laughs> had the years of
0: fixing wounds, bandaging things back when he was a kid. So. Right. Maybe oh, that's, that's it. That's awesome. No, so I they're both in the thing. workforce. Sorry. You to... Go ahead. No, I was just going
1: to say, I think, I think it's important to, you know, to interact with the kids that way, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think it's important. I, I know a lot of, uh, or I know uh, men in my life who either didn't have a dad growing up which was a big hole for them or had a dad who was very distant and very disciplined and not maybe not that emotionally I don't know maybe not that emotionally intelligent or something or just insecure I, I'm not I'm not sure what where that comes from but I know it has a negative impact on on sons on boys
0: yeah so yeah you you would encourage people to yeah make sure you play with your kids I oh yeah I feel like I just you know, there's just slumps that you get in when you're, you're hustling and you're the Mm -hmm. head of house, you're, you're trying to earn money. You're trying to like, and if you're an entrepreneur, like who knows how many like endeavors they're really trying sometimes. And entrepreneurs don't just pick one and and go, they're like doing Mm -hmm. four or five things at once and family can really get jeopardized in that. So yeah.
1: I mean, to be clear, there were plenty of times that I can remember when, especially the youngest, uh, Nathan, both really, but they would come in with the ball glove and the ball, throw on the ball in the glove. And I'm on the phone. You know, there's one job I had way back in 2000. So over 20 years ago, that was just a miserable job that I had with the exception of a great boss, but everything else was really not fun for me. Um, and I couldn't, I just, I mean, I could, but I elected to stay focused on that because It was important breadwinning activity and it wasn't that secure. And I had a lot of, you know, a lot to demonstrate and to show to the people who were signing my paycheck and, and it really got old. So I ended up leaving that for that reason. But I said no, a lot of times that I know hurt their feelings.
0: Yeah. I think that's a fine line really, because Mm -hmm. there is some hustle that needs to get put into earning money like in Mm -hmm. whether it's seasonal or whatever projects are, are coming due or whatever it is. Yeah and holding on to consistent, good relationship with your kids.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the best things that I've read in a while Jeff is the book by Gary Keller called the one thing I think I've probably told you about it, Yeah, but I'll never forget. I'm probably not going to quote this exactly, but I'll, I'll never forget the, the, the thing he wrote in the book was, um, when you're focused on the, a particular thing like your work or a project or building a business or whatever it is. um, I'll try to get this right. What he said was it's important that when you go out on the skinny branches on something like that to make sure that you don't go so far out that you can't find your way back and that you don't stay so long that there's nothing left for you when you do return. and that really was impactful for me to read that in that book. So I I would encourage, I don't know, Gary Keller, I've got no, you know, no skin in the game here to promote his book, but it is a great book. The one thing it's very good.
0: Yeah. That just reminds me like something I just like to say is that like, what if you were able to get so successful in business, like, but at the end you look back in 20 years and you don't have a family, like you're divorced. you're not, you're kind of estranged to your kids or you're not close with them. Like, did you really win? Was that really worth it? Um, or you don't Mm -hmm. have faith. There's just a lot of ways that we, as men, I think we can lose in life. Like you, you lost, like you don't have the best, the best life. Like, um, you do want to maintain faith. You want to maintain the family that you have. And I mean, if you, have to go through that circumstance. Like, yeah, there's redemption and you can do the best with the you know rest of your life. And, or if you have to get remarried, but still, I, I think that's what is that that quote is kind of leaning towards like, you don't want to <laughs> yeah. get to the end and you don't have them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I, you know, I, I like nice things like anybody. Um, you know, I value that. I think it's, I think, I think it's great. But I don't value it as much as I do what I think is the most important thing outside of a relationship with God in this life, which is um, they're the trust relationships we have with other people. That's the most valuable thing for me, because in the end, that's all you've got, all you have. I mean, if you've got let me put it this way, if if you got a call from the doctor and the doctor said, Jeff, Dale, you've got 24 hours to live. Man, none of that stuff matters. I mean, all those projects and all those, you know, all those clients you're chasing and the job you're trying to get and all that kind of stuff. suddenly it doesn't matter. What does matter are the people that you, who you love and who, and who love you. That's it. That's all that matters. You just want to be around them every minute that you can until your last minute. And so it's a pretty good litmus test, really.
0: That's powerful. Really. That's really powerful.
1: And and in that 24 hours, what are you gonna do? You're gonna spend as much time with them and you're gonna talk about all the wonderful time you've had together. Yeah. That's it.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna make my relationships right and just stay right. with my family.
1: Yeah, that's it. And that's what you're gonna focus on.
0: Wow, I wanna change gears again. That was that was really powerful. Sure. Uh a few things I'm going to have to just keep chewing on here, but uh, let's go into finances. Okay. Uh, where did you start? We might have to breeze through some of this, but where did you start earning a living? Like, I know you got married. Was it W 2 or did you go right into small business? I think you obviously mentioned you had jobs, um, but what's been your journey from to get to? So
1: <laughs> well, I like to think that I started earning a living when I was 11 years old um, okay. because remember I told you I used to listen to my parents have these rough conversations about money. And, uh, I chose to believe that I was not a burden, but they, but that they could use my help. And I just want I just, to, I just want to, you know, really, I, I want to enforce the, the, the idea that choosing what you believe is so it is the critical thing. And, um, And it's a choice. You get to choose what it is you're, you're going to believe. And um, so I chose to believe that my parents would benefit from my help. I wasn't a burden. um, And the way I could help them was to demonstrate um, different ways of earning money that they didn't know about. And so Uh, I didn't know about them either, but I started writing off for anything I could find. And so my mom, I was always the one of the three kids that went to the grocery store with my mother on Friday to spend the paycheck on groceries. And so I started looking for those business opportunity magazines in the magazine rack. I didn't have the money to buy one, but I would sneak it in the cart, hoping my mom would pay for it. And she never did. But one day the lady who was at the checkout, because they had to key everything in at that time, she saw that and she just you know, covered it, um, herself. She paid for it herself. And, um, I got it home and I read everything and I mailed off for everything I could. And so I started selling shoes where I could mission. And I also discovered that my mom, she worked in a ball cap factory and she sewed the hats on the ball caps. Well, sometimes there were some imperfect imperfections. And so they'd get tossed in this big cardboard box and, uh, my mom would bring them home and, you know, we'd we'd wear them. You know, we lived in farm country, so everybody wore a hat like that when I was a kid. But the, the kids at school started asking me, "Hey, where'd you get that hat? Can you get me one?" So my mother could get those for twenty-five cents, and so I started buying those from my mom, and I was taking them to school and selling them for a dollar. So I, you know, I was making a pretty good margin there. And uh, I'll never forget the day I told my mom, "Hey, I don't need an allowance anymore. I'm because I, it's in my mind, I'm you know I'm helping them because they don't have to give me any money." And, um, my mom asked me, where's all that money coming from? Cause I didn't tell her I was selling the hats at school. Um, and, uh, and I, so I told her what I was doing and that I didn't need an allowance anymore. And she put the money back in her purse and she said, that's fine, but you're still going to wash the dishes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> still got to earn your keep here. Yeah,
1: you still have to do your part. So that was my first profit center. And, um, that's great. Yeah. That's where that all started right there.
0: (laughs) So I know you have experience in business. So why don't we skip ahead to where you went from the W-2 to owning a business?
1: Yeah, my business stuff started with real estate. So it was in um, the late 80s but I took a real interest in, in real estate and rental property and things like that and renovating houses, et cetera. So in the late eighties, I bought my first house in 1988, right after I started my job, um, out of college. So I had some credit and I could actually borrow money. Um, it wasn't the best deal in the world, but it, I made a little profit and, uh, I remember my interest rate was 12%. So we're all complaining about five or six, you know, today is the time of this recording here. Um, but it was 12% interest back then. And I can remember, I can remember 16, 17% interest on mortgages even. Um, so, uh, I bought a house then and I accumulated rental property and things like that. I did that all in parallel to my W2 jobs, building my career. And then in 2005, um, I had an opportunity to buy a business um, uh, after having gone through several corporate jobs, I bought a business in 2005. Um, and, uh, I learned a lot from the real estate business and how to put transactions together. And I did it basically for the business, much like I did for, you know, the way I would buy houses because I learned to buy houses with much less of my own money. Um, and, uh, I bought this business, uh, was doing 700,000 in sales at the time. And, um, we, when I say we, it was, I was able to hire some good people, so I put a good team together. We built that to about 8 million in sales. And then, um, I exited from that in 2015 when my parents both, um, just age and, you know, working in factories and things like that, their health started to decline pretty rapidly. And so I took a couple of years off and I, and I really spent that, those two years with my parents, my mom and dad, for through their final season of life.
0: Oh, yeah. that's that's important.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and today, you know, I I just I enjoy um, helping other business owners to be successful, and to you know improve their profitability and cash flow and things like that. All the things.
0: Oh, we lost you. Hold on, Dale. You. St- you're muted. You want me to unmute you? There yeah,
1: we are. all the I don't know how that happened. I didn't click anything, but um, but yeah, I I really you know navigate through the obstacles, and it's just a lot of fun for me. A lot of business owners have challenges that are, um, to them they seem overwhelming, but they're really some of them can be you know, pretty gnarly to solve, but most of them, they're just not, you know?
0: Yeah. So what do you, what do you do today?
1: Well, I'm a, I work as a business advisor, helping business owners to improve their profitability and, um, by significant, uh, and significantly improve profitability by the way. So, um, and my clients are any, they're anywhere from a million to 20 million in revenue generally in that range. The biggest client I've had is, was about 3 billion. Um, that was a, a while ago. It was about 10 years ago. But uh, I like the smaller businesses. Um, they tend to be able to make quicker decisions, et cetera, and so on. They don't have boards and committees to make decisions. They can make decisions a little quicker. Yeah. So
0: <clears throat> What yeah. are some of the things that you do to, turn businesses around and increase profitability
1: help them implement strategies that are very executable in chunks of time um you know like what's probably no surprise me we what's that
0: like what's one strategy for instance
1: um one might be uh, messaging so you know if you ask most business owners what they do they'll tell you "Well, will own manufacturing we've been family owned for 20 years that sort of thing Nobody really cares about that. Um, they don't even—they just don't care. What what the brain wants to know is, what can you do for me? That's number one. Number two, how long will it take me to experience the result? Um, number three, what do I have to give you of my and money? And then number four, now that I have that information, what do you want me to do? What action do you want me to take? And so, getting the messaging right is. Is one of you know over fifty strategies that we help to implement, um, you know, because most of the most of what you see in advertising and on websites and things like that is is very focused on the on the owner and the company, and it's and it's usually driven by ego, and nobody cares that you've been family owned since two thousand or that you've you know been a finalist for the Malcolm Baldrige Award. That's all nice, but it doesn't it doesn't tell your potential customers what you can do for them.
0: Yeah. People really just want to know, like, what can you do for me? Like, why should I even take my time here? So
1: yeah, that's right. That's right. So that's a fundamental strategy we, we help them with.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's great. I, uh, I love, I really enjoy your industry because I think, um, entrepreneurs or small business owners can get really lost, right? Trying to spin all the plates that it takes, like to really get, a business profitable and going and if they were are trying to grow at this point um, or if they're trying to exit like there's so many hats that that a lot of small business owners wear where once you get in those bigger ones you know they have someone they hired someone for all those pieces right and so there's Mm -hmm. just a lot of stress and weight that that goes on small business owners so i really really like your industry
1: yeah there's there's a couple maybe three mistake these are the common mistakes that are absolutely avoidable that most business owners make or are making on a regular basis so I'll give you these number 1 is they're very focused on profit now that's important we got to be profitable but cash flow is even more important profit is a theory cash flow is a fact okay and so uh those are two very different things um you know the the Um, the other is the business owners way too often do minimum, minimum wage work. It's really tragic. Um, go to the one thing with Gary Keller. That's a great place to start to, to stop doing things you shouldn't be doing. And then, um, you know, and the third thing is, um, serving the right people for the right purpose. Um, you know, because I just, I just have this real loathing and disdain for hyperbole. And so, um, I think it's, it's in Ephesians, I think it's chapter three, where Paul writes to the church of Ephesus about how important it is to not lie. Number one, and be clear. And it basically says, don't puff things up, just say things like they are and be honest and don't lie. And, um, you know, those three things are pretty important.
0: I like that. You know, I, I was kind of hoping we were going to get into the whole back half of this podcast on these topics here, um, but in the interest of time, I know I've taken your hour. I really think this is valuable, uh, even what we got into, like just the faith, family, and uh, and finance portions. Uh, I think it's going to be very valuable for the listener. So, Dale, I appreciate having you on how can people find you or reach out to you if they want to know more or work with you?
1: Well, they can go to business advisors.com. That's the website. Um, three, all three words, business breakthrough advisors.com. Um, they can send me an email to Dale at business breakthrough advisors.com. Um, also connect with me on LinkedIn and, um, it's LinkedIn dot com forward slash in forward slash Dale Gibbons. Pretty easy to find.
0: Awesome, Dale. Well I appreciate you being here today. And so this concludes episode number one of a Father's Flame podcast. So subscribe to hear more. Uh there'll be plenty of interviews with more other successful entrepreneurs. Um their fathers and uh you know they have wisdom to share. So share this out also with people who may need to be encouraged and hear the message that you heard today Uh, blessings and now take what you learned today and be the man of god that he is calling you to be